Okay, be turning in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we've been studying lately, right? Ecclesiastes, we're going to start in chapter 4 today. We're going to do two chapters today. Chapter 4, actually 3. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Now I have to tell you before we get going here a little bit that uh, chapter 4 through chapter 6 is uh, not exactly the most positive stuff in the world. And so what I've tried to do is I've tried to get it in the context of understanding uh, the idea of thinking about your life. And I think that's one of the, uh, the things that uh, the Scriptures teach that's a, a bit of a subtle thing, that uh, if you've fallen God for any time in your life, you've sort of picked up on the idea that God actually wants you to think about your life. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people in the world say, you know, boy, if you're a Christian and you don't think, you know, you've just checked in your brain and all that kind of thing. Uh, my experience is quite the opposite. If you're a Christian, you actually have thought more about your life uh, than uh, the normal person that you might meet uh, along the way. And uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, here are going to be uh, sort of the thoughts today. The overall theme today is going to be take a look at your life. And uh, today, hopefully, you'll be able to do. You'll be able to take a look at your life uh, today and life in general. And that's what uh, Solomon is doing, right? He's sort of looking at life and he's trying to make sense of things and he's trying to make observation. So I want you to think about your life. So take a look at your life. The four points, you can go ahead and write them down and and you'll see as we go on through how this all flows. The first point is going to be life can look ugly. (laughs) Okay? Trying to get the negative out. But life can look ugly. And that's true. Life can look ugly. Secondly, life is easier if you have help. Life is easier if you have help. And that also is incredibly obvious, but there's so many people in life that feel like they don't have anybody to help them with their life. Third point is going to be respect the Lord. Pretty straightforward on that one. Just respect the Lord. And then the last point uh, will be life can look wonderful. And we'll try to end on, on the positive thing as we go on, on through and, and look at that. Now I want us to get us thinking here real quickly. Hold your finger in Ecclesiastes and look over at Psalm 8. Okay. Psalm 8 and verse 3. The 8th Psalm. Psalm 8 and verse 3. The psalmist says, so in, in this particular context of Psalm 8, it's David. When I consider your heavens, in other words, when I do what? When I think. When I think of your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, and all that you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? David says, when I look up and I look at nature, I see that the heavens above, the forest around me, the seas and and the air and all those things, I actually think about some spiritual thoughts. Look over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus actually picks up on this, this same kind of a thought in that He says, I want you to look at things around you. Look at nature. I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important uh, than uh, food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds 
of the air. Or look at it and think about it. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's actually prompting them to think. Aren't you worth more than the birds in the backyard? And so we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament this idea of think about your life. Now I'm going to give you one other one. Look over to the book of Haggai. You say, oh my, I'll never find Haggai. Haggai is the third last book in the Old Testament, okay? So you have Malachi, Zechariah, and then Haggai going backwards in time there uh, in in the Old Testament. I'll give you a little bit of time to find that one. Haggai, and this is uh, one of the Old Testament prophets... It's not Haggy, it's Haggai. <laughs> oh, Haggy. And uh, in verse 7, he, uh, he's prophesying to the people and he's saying this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says, I want you to think about your life. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So he says, hey, you guys need to think about your life. You need to get up into the forest there, cut down some trees, and build the temple, is what he's saying. So that I can take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much. He says, I want you to think about your life. You expected much. But it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. So the the prophet Haggai here, he says, I want you to think about things here. I've asked of you to build the temple. You haven't done that. You've built your own houses. You've taken care of your own life. You haven't taken care of the things I ask you to do. And so your life is not turning out very good. What you thought was going to be a lot actually turned out to be a little. What you brought home, I blew it away, says the Lord Almighty. So this idea of think about your life is a constant theme in the Scriptures. That we should be doing that. Now... I don't want you to go negative on that. Because sometimes people start thinking about their life and they immediately go low. Oh, wow. Yeah, my life is awful and terrible and nothing turned out. That's probably not true in any of our lives. But the, the process or the idea in all of our lives to have a moment to think about what's going on is actually a very positive thing. In chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes verse 1, Again I looked. So he he says again. So I've done this before. Again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. Now skip back up to chapter 3 verse 16. This is something we read last week. But that's where he says again I thought of it because he's referring back to this. He says, And I saw something else under the sun in the place of judgment. In other words, where there should be fairness, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And so then you come down to chapter 4 verse 1. Again I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed that they have No comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors. And they have 
no comfort. Now look on over to chapter 5 in verse 8. He makes a comment here about some things related to riches, but I want us to notice something very interesting. He says, if you see the poor oppressed, so same kind of thought, right? If you see the poor oppressed and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at these things. Here's the thing that happens for us. It happens to me. It happens to you. We look at the unfairnesses of life that is going on around us. And by the way, isn't it interesting? This was written... Thousands and thousands of years ago. And he looked around and he saw the exact same things that you and I look around at. We think, man, you know, I'm not even sure if I go to court whether I'll get treated fairly. And we worry about that sometimes, don't we? And we think, you know, hey, the system, the system is slanted against me. And I'm likely not to get fair treatment. And we act as if this is if this something that's sort of new, or that there's something wrong with the United States of America, the country we live in, or there's something wrong with us as modern, developed people. This was going on thousands and thousands of years ago. And let me tell you something, guys. If we do get to the Star Trek world, it will still be going on. Because it's, it's the nature of fallen man. It's the nature of people that, that, that are behaving in such a way when God is not in control in their life, this is where it's going to go. This is how it's going to go in ancient times, in modern times, in future times, if those times are to come. Don't be surprised. Isn't it interesting the Bible tells us, quit being shocked. You know, we hear the news, we're like, oh, I can't believe that some guy in Oklahoma City cut off somebody's head on Friday. Oh, how could that happen? It's awful that it happened. But don't be surprised. Why would would we really be surprised? How could that happen in America? As if we really believe that America is on some higher level of morality than other parts of the world. Don't be surprised at these things. See, that's point number one. When we think about life, honestly, it can go a little low. You can start thinking, wow, life is not very good. And he talks about this whole thing of being oppressed. And uh, I mean, he, in verse 2 he says, And I, I declare that the dead who already died are happier than the living. <laughs> he says, man, the people who are already dead are better off uh, than who are still alive. He says, but better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that's done under the sun. He says, man, even the unborn children are better off because they've never experienced all the unfairness and the oppression that goes on uh, in the world. Now look what he says in verse 4. He talks about envy and jealousy. He says, I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. He makes the observation that, hey, there's a lot of people in the world that are working hard, that are cranking, that are trying to get ahead in life. He said, but what I've sort of figured out is that the primary motivation for people is, is envy. The primary motivation is that I don't like the fact that it seems that you have more than me. 
And therefore, I am working. I am clanking. I am sacrificing because I want more. And I want more than you. All the, the motivation he's saying of, of, of so many people's lives is fueled by envy and jealousy. Now I want to ask you, are you happy with what you have? In the New Testament, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, you know, tell people to be content with what they have. Are we content with what we have? Really? You know, our our system of economic life in America is based upon capitalism. A concept of getting more and more. We're influenced by that. I'm influenced it. You're influenced by it, surely. Yet there needs to be a sense of contentment. That I have the Lord and I don't need anything else. I don't need a bigger television. I don't need a shinier car. I don't need a nicer house. I'm content with what I have. You know, even in the even in the uh, the Old Testament in the uh, the Ten Commandments, it says uh, that that we shouldn't uh, you know uh, covet. Do not covet. You know what it means to covet? To deeply want what someone else has. See, sometimes people get into coveting, they get into jealousy and envy because they sort of have a concept of there's only so much to go around and if they have it, that means I don't have it and so if I'm going to have it, I have to take it from them. You know what that's really rooted in? It's really rooted in the concept that you don't believe God is going to take care of you. I mean, has God given out all the blessings and now we've got to subdivide them? Or can God still bless us even though He's already blessed other people and, and, and those around us? Yep. And see, that, that's really the truth of things, isn't it? Now he goes on and he, he makes really an interesting observation. In verse 5 he says, The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. He says, you know, there's some people in life that are highly, highly, highly motivated and they are just fueled by envy and jealousy. There's other people that see the whole thing and they say, I'm just going to sit down and quit. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be motivated at all. I, I am just, I, I'm basically just going to sit here, I'm going to mope, I'm going to feel sorry for myself. And what does he say about that person? They're a fool and they destroy themselves. No one even has to destroy them, they're self destructive. There is a proper sense of motivation. Of light that we'll actually get a little bit later as we go along here. But this idea that things can go a little negative uh, is there, and we, we've got to be very careful not to, to have the wrong kind of motivations of how we live uh, in our life. I love what he says in verse 6 better one handful with tranquility, a smaller amount, but actually being happy, than two handfuls, handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You know, really, wouldn't you rather have one handful and be happy than have two and be miserable? You know, we have a concept when we drive through certain neighborhoods, we say, wow, look at these homes. Look at these cars. Look at these people. They are surely happy. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? 
Wow, what's going on behind that nice door on their house? That door on their house probably costs more than your house. <laughs> Cranking door. You ever seen a door and you say, wow, what a door. Man, right. That's a door on that house, man. That must be an incredibly happy family living behind that door. Well, not really. Sometimes you can have a cranking house, cranking car, cranking job, cranking wife. She may have the best shoes, red bottoms and all. I mean, she got the, she got the nicest stuff, slickest stuff. I mean, it looks sharp! And she sure wishes her husband would, would really show her some attention. She, she really wishes that, you know, she can sleep better at night. We're going to actually get to sleep a little bit later. But we've got to get going. Part number two, life is easier if you have help. Verse seven, again I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. There was a person all alone. Didn't have anybody with them. There was a person just by themselves. Had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Here is a person. This is the person that doesn't have anybody, a brother, a, 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 a friend. They're not content though. He's toiling, he's working, making more. This is the epitome of, 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 the, of the person we see in the world sometimes. They have more, they have more, they work, they work, they work, but they don't have anybody with them. Yeah. For whom am I toiling, he asked. You ever ask that question in your life? Now, what am I working my tail off for? Really? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Man, I, I can't even sit down and watch a ball game and be happy. This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one. Look at this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. Hey, you've got two people doing it. You, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Then you ever fall down in life? Does life ever knock you down? Does your life ever slap you down? Bam! You feel like I know more than God up? Bam! Sometimes we, we get half up we get knocked down again. He says, but, but pity the guy, it has, his friend can help him up. If you got a friend, you can, you can get back up. They can shield you a little bit, take care of you. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. I mean, he's making observations about life here, and he's saying, you know, the bottom line is it's, it's sort of good to have family or friends around you. Because life is tough, point number one. Right? And so you need some people around you. He says also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. Now he's envisioning sleeping out. He's not talking about the house here. He's saying, man, you, you know, you're trying to make a living. And, and you're freezing your tail off at night. Because you're all by yourself. He says, if someone's there, that you, they, you can lay down together, you can share warmth. But how can one keep warm alone? Well, you can't. You're going to be miserable. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. You know, you may be able to be overpowered just by yourself, but if you got somebody there with you, that, that's another thing, right? Yeah. I got the biggest kick out of Karina the other day. She said that uh, 
uh, Amelia t- had taught the, uh, the teenage girls, the preteen girls, I thought this was great, that if you're ever walking alone by yourself, it looks look like you're mad. <laughs> I, you know, I thought well, that's pretty good advice from Amelia. I, I, I appreciate that. That's great. You know, helping the girls out a little bit. You know what? But, you know, sometimes you need more than a bad growl. <laughs> you know? So sometimes you, you need more than just looking mad. You need somebody else there with you. And that, that's what he's saying, you know. Uh, you, it, one may be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. You can defend yourself if you've got somebody to help you out in life. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I'm telling you, you take even three little strings, I mean little strings, and you wind them up together, I'm telling you, it's tough. It's easier in life if you have friends. This is one of, not one of, okay? This is one of the great reasons for the church in the lives of God's people. We need each other. And sometimes we get a little too content with the idea that, you know what, it's just me and God. Well, it is just you and God, but it had better be more than just you and God. That's why the Bible talks so much about the relationships that we share with each other. That's why Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples because of the love you share for one another. Jesus says, this is one of the main ways that people can identify my real followers is they have relationships where they love each other, where they're involved with each other, they're taking care of each other. Now I'm going to say something here and some of you need to you know, put your seatbelt on. I think I've made a mistake in leadership of our group here over the last several years. And I'm going to tell you the mistake I think I've made and some of you are complicit with me in this. I have wanted to not have a legalistic perspective of whether people should come to the meetings of the body, the church, services. Now, I don't think we should be legalistic. But I think I've become too tolerant because God, well, amen, you know, man. I mean, <laughs> someone, someone just says, amen, knucklehead, I'm glad you finally figured it out. <laughs> you know what? We have one midweek a month, San Gabriel Valley. One midweek a month. And I'm telling the attendance at it is awful. Guys, we need each other. And I can tell you from only one person's perspective, and that's mine, it's discouraging. When you look around, you're like, where where is everybody? Now, as a leader of God's people, as a shepherd, I don't want to make people feel legalistic. Well, I've got to go, or I'm going to get in trouble. That, that, you know, really, if that's the motivation, we've got to do a little better than that. But the motivation really should be an understanding that we need each other. That means people need me as well as I need them. Maybe the person you're hurting the most and not being there is yourself. We have developed a way too casual attitude here about missing services in the church. Well, I got this. Well, I got that. Well, this was planned. Well, that was planned. You know what? When you became a Christian, you should have understood that I am a member of the body of Christ. 
And I have certain responsibilities and obligations because of that. Of what I can do for others, but also what, what others can do for us and, and, and help us on. We need people in our life. I want us to hit number three here, the third thing, and that's chapter 5, verse 1. And it's really the concept of respecting the Lord. Let's read this together. Verse, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He says, hey, I want you to think about things when you go to the temple. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Boy, I'm telling you what. That sounds like something from the hood, doesn't it? <laughs> do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter something or anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Hey, you need to quit talking so much. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and then not fill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Whoa! I mean, Solomon is thinking about the oppression of the world. He's thinking about things going on. He's thinking about how we need each other. And then he says, and since I'm on it, you guys act like knuckleheads when you go to the temple. You talk big and, and talk about all you're going to do for God and you don't do squat. He said, what you ought to do is shut up. Translated. Into modern English. Thank you very much. He says, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to have respect for God here. You need to realize in the concept of the Old Testament Jew, when they went to the temple, they were going to the home, the house of God. Now, in the New Testament era, we don't go to the temple in the concept of going to church is going to the, the house of God. You know, the theater at Gabrielino High School is not the house of God. If you understand what I'm saying. So we don't come here to church with the same exact mindset of an Old Testament Jew. But we certainly should understand that the world is the creation of God. We certainly should understand that going to the place with God's people is something that's very important no matter where it is. Whether it's you know, at, at, at a, a local high school that God's people rent, or whether it's another church building that God's people rent, or whether it's a hotel that God's people rent, or maybe it's a place that they've built of their own, and they have a place where they worship together. I don't think there's anything wrong in and of itself of a church building that the church owns, if you know what I'm saying. In some ways, it's nice to do that. It gives you a, a great uh, a centering point and a local point. And I wish somebody would give us one and we'd have one. That would be nice. Uh, if you don't do that, you have to pay for it for 50 years. And, and that's a pain in the neck too for the God's people. You know, what, what do you do for 30 years? You pay for a church building. You know, we just need to pray someone give us some. You know, there's all kinds of them out there. No one goes to them anyway. You know? 
They got nine people worship. You know, they ought to just give it to us. We'd fill it up. But he's saying here, there needs to be some respect shown to God. There needs to be respect shown to God. We talk a lot about we want to have a personal relationship with God. And that's a valuable concept. It's a true concept. But it is not the entire picture of what it means to have a relationship with God. There are several facets, angles of looking at a relationship with God. One, yes, is the the loving relationship. God the Father to you the child. There's also the relationship of you being a a friend of God. Yes, I want God to be my friend. I want Him to look at me in that kind of way too. But we can't have all these nicey-nicey looks at the relationship with God and leave this one out. This one's true too. That we need to stand in awe of God. We need to realize when we are addressing God, we are addressing uh, the the being of all beings. I mean, imagine if you went to the White House and you you saw uh, and you went into the Oval Office and there's President Obama. Whoa! I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, or nothing. Man, that's the President of the United States. This is the Oval Office. You would stand in awe. My guess is you would keep your mouth shut. You would speak when spoken to, as my mother would say. Some of you old enough to remember that kind of parenting. That wasn't good enough parenting. That was, that was just parenting back then. <laughs> Children need to be seen, not heard. <laughs> yeah, Larry hadn't covered that yet. <laughs> Maybe he's going to get to that today. <laughs> yeah, he'll throw it in. Amen. That was, good, that was good enough 30 years ago or 40 years ago, you know. We, we, we've revised good enough. Uh, good enough's a nicer version, you know, uh, of whatever. But you know what? If you saw the President of the United States, you'd be, whoa, you know? If you saw Peyton Manning for the football play, whoa, that's Peyton Manning right there. Doggone it. For all the non football players, who's Peyton Manning? You know? That's right over your head, you know? If you saw Bono, you know, or whoever, you know? Who, 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 Karina, who's, who's new and different that's popular now? I don't know. Some knucklehead with long hair or something. You know. You would be in awe. Stand in awe of God. That is a valid facet of a relationship with God. That better be in your repertoire of your understanding of who you are. You're not just God's buddy. You're not just God's favored son or daughter. You are also in the kingdom of God. And He is the King. And you darn well better treat the King properly. Is what Solomon is saying. Now, I want to close and end with this last thing. He comes on down. We can't get deeply into it. But in verse 8 of chapter 5, he starts talking about money and how money and things can can happen. Look what he says in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. How much more do you need? Just a little bit more. (laughs) 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Huh. As goods increase, so do the... Uh-huh. I remember years and years and years ago, Patrick Ewing was on the, the gang in the NBA and they were, they were negotiating a new contract. And, and, and the, the owner said, well, man, you, you players are making millions of dollars. And that was true in that time and it's even more now. And, and Patrick Ewing's uh, thing uh, that he said back to him, he goes, yeah, but you don't understand, we also spend millions of dollars. Now that's interesting for him to observe that because that's exactly true. You, you, you we, we look, those of us who don't make millions of dollars, maybe there's some of you that do, I don't. Uh, and you say, well, I'm proud you don't. You're our minister, amen. Uh, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. But, uh, you know, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for what, what I pay. Don't, 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 go, don't go there, I'm only joking. But, but <laughs> But, but you know, we, we look at, we hear sometimes, those of us who follow uh, the sporting uh, world are, are those around, well, he signed a contract for $30 million. $30 million? Yeah, I, you think I couldn't spend that enough money if I was just trying to spend that much money. And you think, just give me one, you wouldn't miss it anyway. You know? Uh, <laughs> You got 29 more. We say, how can someone have that much money? And, and, and then we, 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 we see the story that comes out in the news. That, oh, so-and-so, that was a star 10 years ago or whatever. They're now, you know, uh, doing uh, luggage at LAX. Uh, and you're saying, wow, how did he spend all that money? Well, that's what Solomon noticed too. He says, as good increase, so do those who consume them. You see, all of a sudden you start thinking about things you never thought about. You never thought about buying a Bentley. You, you were just hoping you could have a Toyota. Now you think, why? I can actually buy one. See, as you have more money, then other things come into play now. You understand what I'm saying? Then he goes on down. He talks about uh, uh, you know, the, the benefit of that. And, and look at verse 12. The sleep of the laborer is sweet. He says, I'll tell you one thing. If you work hard, you sleep well. Okay? Whatever he eat, or whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. Wow. And we have a lot of people have sleep problems. Why do they have so many sleep problems? They are so worried about what's going on in their life. They can't sleep. But you know the poor guy over there? That poor woman over there? She works her tail off. When she goes to bed, it doesn't take... She doesn't have to have help to go to sleep. Matter of fact, she'd probably sleep before she got in bed. And Solomon observes this. He says, you know, people, they, they get a little money and they're miserable. These people don't have much money. They're, they're actually happier than the people. They sleep better. Yep. They actually sleep better. They're healthier. Isn't that interesting? And he comes on that. He says, I've seen another grievous thing. He says, wealth hoarded to the heart of its owner is a bad thing. Listen to 15. Naked a man came from his mother's womb. I saw both my children born and they were naked. They were, as, the old, as the old preacher said, they were naked. I mean, they didn't have a stitch on them, folks. They were naked. Every single one of us came into life with nothing. Nothing. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb and he, as he comes, so he departs. You go back with nothing. Job makes the same observation in Job chapter 1. Naked you come into the world, and naked you depart. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry with his hand. So he's making all this observation about money doesn't seem to be doing it. Then look at verse 18. 
He says, then I realized. He says, then I thought, wow, okay, here's what it is. Then I realized that it is good and proper for man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor. Wow! Under the sun, during the few days that God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth or possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his law, to be happy in his work, this is the gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Now, I want to make a couple more observations in chapter 6. Look at verse 3. A man may... may, may he, he's exaggerating here. A man may have a hundred children. No, really, no one has a hundred children, right? You may have an incredibly big family, he says, and live many years, yet no matter how... How long he lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity. Okay? Come on down to verse 6. Even if he lives a thousand years, twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. He's talking about now, I'm looking at life now, and I'm seeing that life is to be enjoyed. God wants you, God wants me to be happy. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world of oppression and violence, of toil and and, and labor. He says it's appropriate to think about life and recognize that life is like that around us. But he says at the end of the day, I want us to be happy. God wants us to be happy. And we should enjoy our life. Take a bite of food and savor it. They say if we did that, we'd eat less. For some of us, that may be the first step toward a great product. Wow, that's good. Chris and I went on a date last night. I got a cheeseburger. This was this wasn't the you know the McDonald's. This was a cheeseburger. Oh, that was good. You went to a steakhouse and got a cheeseburger. Yeah, I I wanted a cheeseburger. I just felt like a cheeseburger. You ever just feel like a cheeseburger? Ice cream. Man, that's good. Yeah, we're all going to beat the Baptist, the Burger King. I mean, we we can't get out of here. We'll we'll, we'll be crazy. Enjoy life. You say, but life's hard. My life is hard. Granted. Okay, fine. That's a given. Enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy life. All that's been created is for our enjoyment. Now, you know, it isn't wrong to have money. Some of you have money. It's not wrong to have money, but don't trust in it. You start trusting in money, you're going you're to be earlier in chapter 5. You know, you're not going to be able to sleep all of a sudden now because you're worried about your money. Money is, is given from God. There are a lot of rich people in the Bible. But we've got to have the attitude and the perspective of life that I want to enjoy it. Enjoy your life. We're going to get to this later in the chapter, uh, later on in one of the chapters. Enjoy life with your wife. If you're married, man, enjoy your spouse. You say, well, he's a knucklehead. 
she's, she's a knucklehead, man. If she would do this, if he would be that, no, 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 just somehow find something positive. You used to really be nice and focus on that. I mean, you know, I don't know. You sort of developed to do a butthead, but whatever, you know. Focus on the positive. Focus on the blessing. Focus on God wants me to be happy. I have to remind myself of that every once in a while. I have to say, Marty, quit thinking about the negative. There's plenty of positive in your life. There's plenty of positive in my life. It's only a matter of I'm going to focus on the negative or I'm going to focus on the positive. We've all, we can all go, we can sing the sob song. We can all do that. Or we can also start thinking about the things in our life that are good and wonderful and a blessing in life. He wants our life to be enjoyed. I hope our sort of meandering through chapter 4, 5, and 6 have been good for you. It's under the whole banner of think about life. Think about what's going on. Think about what should be going on, what could be going on, what might be going on in your life. I hope as we study this, and believe me, we didn't, get, we didn't pull every little nugget out of 4, 5, and 6 we could have, but we pulled out at least some of them that are good thoughts and good uh, th- things for us to go through this week with. And I hope that we can get into this week with these good thoughts. That life around us might be tough. I get that. God wants us to respect Him. And lust for our sake and for everybody's sake around us. Emphasize the positive things and the good things. God wants you to be happy. Brothers and sisters, have a great day. You're dismissed.